Today we're going to be talking about the Exodus Blueprint. Now, the Exodus Blueprint, I believe, is something that will help us all to not only understand the time we're living in, but to give us a kind of a visionary feel for where we need to go as a body. And I pray that you will not be disappointed, but I need to make a confession. I did not come here this morning to talk about the Exodus Blueprint. As a matter of fact, I had a, a well-prepared lesson, but I left my worksheet in the truck. Now, I started out to get it a while ago, and I took hold of the doorknob and I got checked. And I got checked with the book of Exodus right before me. So I knew that I had to change my lesson. So in that instant, the Exodus blueprint came to this, into this foreview. And that's why we're going to be talking about the Exodus blueprint. We live in a very serious time of history, church. And there's one issue that really faces all of us, and that's how do we live positive, forward, with a mindset and a heart that's positive. Because there's a lot of Americans today suffering depression. Do you know that? More people are suffering from depression today. More people are taking antidepressant prescription drugs that at any time. It's an amazing thing to see the mental state of the American people. We don't want to fall into that trap. And there's a, there's a path forward in the book of Exodus that I think will help us to remain uplifted, positive, and forward-moving as a body of believers. And it's all in the Bible. It's not in a podcast. Not that it, there isn't a lot of information in some really good podcasts. But this is... All we have to do is open our Bibles to the book of Exodus. And there's a forward path. As good, as solid as anything you would want to find. So let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter number 1. Exodus chapter number 1. And boys, if you will read, and the congregation will join you, we're all going to read now. So if you have a son or a daughter, please, open the Bible so that they can join with our readers today. As we begin reading from Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we ask in the blessed and holy and wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would look down from heaven, be mindful of our needs. O Father in heaven, we repent before you as a body. We are sorry for the violations of your law for the miscarriage of justice that we witness in our time. O oh, living God, help us. We plead in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
that you would be so kind, so generous to send your Holy Spirit, without which, Father in heaven, we are lost. Holy Spirit of God, Old Testament Ruha, New Testament Numa, breathe upon us. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to thee. Connect us to the God of Abraham. Guide us, I pray, in the blessed name of Jesus Christ in this lesson today, that your name may be glorified, that your kingdom may be outlined in our hearts, and that, Father in heaven, we may be a blood-washed, spirit-filled, devil-chasing, sin-hating congregation that love one another and that love the Word of God and that are willing to trust God and His Word to know that He will never forsake nor leave His children. In this we pray in Christ's blessed name. Amen. Exodus 1. Let's begin the journey. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that, when they are fallen out of any war, they have joined with all sorts of our enemies, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service, wherein they made them service, was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of the midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives, and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing, and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come unto them. Therefore God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied, and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall pass into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Thank you very much, and you may be seated. 
As we review the words of Exodus chapter number one, congregation, we notice these uh, very eventful uh, historical truths. Number one, we know that a great famine had occurred in that uh, Central Asian part of the world, and that famine had grew so severe that there was danger of them actually perishing. And you remember the story. Everybody knows the story of how God sent Joseph ahead of his family to prepare a place during the time of great famine. Now that lets everyone <coughs> excuse me, know here today that a sovereign God is always watching over his flock. God has made a promise to Abraham. It's called the unconditional covenantal promise that God made to Abraham. He confirmed it in Isaac. He, he established it in Jacob. He multiplied it in Jacob. And he has visited his sovereign grace and goodness upon the house of Israel inevitably when they were with their backs against the wall. God will not forsake his people. If the Bible is a true book, the God of Abraham, the God of Israel, the Bible calls God the God of Israel. Doesn't call him the God of the world. Calls him the God of Israel. We know that God created the world and everything that is in the world and he looked at it and said it's very good. But when God chose a people, he promised that those people by his providential grace, not by any virtue of the people themselves, he knew that Israel would, would be unworthy of his divine election. But he knew that by his own sovereign grace, he would always keep his promise to the people that he chose in election before the foundation of the world. So Israel arrives down in Egypt, and they arrive there under the patriarchal headship of Jacob. Jacob is the head of the family, and I believe at that time there were 70 souls numbered when they made their way into Egypt when Joseph was the prime minister or the, the official in charge of Pharaoh's government. Now what we notice here is that in due time, Joseph is going to die, and the entire generation that grew up with Joseph, and that would include all of his brothers, all of the family that came with, down into Egypt with Jacob. Eventually, they're all going to pass away. And so a new generation is going to come. And we find out real quickly that a, a generation arises, a generation arises in Israel where the Pharaoh is no longer favorable to them. He is no longer favorable to them. Now, why did the Pharaoh look with disdain upon the Israelites 
when he had been so kind to them and had accorded them the choice land in all of Egypt, he gave them the land of Goshen to live in. And now the Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh has come on the scene that finds the Israelites to no longer find favor in his sight, but he decides that they're a problem. The problem was that Egypt was filling up with Israelites and the abundance and the high birth rate of the Israelite people meant that there were more children being born to Israelites or at least to the degree that they were out that they were outperforming the Egyptians with new children. If there's anything that history teaches us, people, <coughs> it teaches us that the people who will be fearless, who will be courageous, and irrespective of the circumstances around them, continue to have children, those people will be the victors. The people that never grow cowardly about children hold the key to history in their hand because the children will meet the enemy in the gate. So what is the promise of the Bible regarding children? Why did the Israelites living in a foreign land, hearing a foreign strange language, observing multiple gods being worshipped all over Egypt, they lived in a very cultural alien place. There was nothing compatible that the Israelites found in Egypt, and yet they seemed to flourish. Now that tells me that the, the Israelites had to be a positive, forward-looking people, they had to be a people that knew as long as they pursued a pathway of life, we'll call it lifestyle, that incorporated a love of God and children, that their future would be okay, no matter the circumstances they found themselves in. So they began to multiply, and multiply they did. They waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, Pharaoh is a very powerful monarch. The Pharaoh in ancient Egypt at this season of time, historically, was one of the most powerful men on the planet. So Pharaoh could wield enormous power. He was a despot, a tyrant but he had the ability to exercise extreme control and power over the people because he ruled basically as a tyrant. He was responsible to very few people, if anybody. And so he just did whatever he really wanted to do. He had the power to do it. He held the, the reins of power. So he began to make use of the Israelite manpower, and he assigned them the building of the famous treasure cities of ancient Egypt. 
Now, just the examination of some of those cities would be quite an adventure into history, into the building of those ancient cities, and they were built by slave labor. Now, you'll notice the word, the, the, there's an old English word in here. It's the word rigor. He made them uh, work with great rigor. That means it's just an old uh, English word that implies hard labor. Hard labor. I find it amazing now that right when Israel is in chains and they're laboring, they're still willing to be parents of little ones. And I'm, I'm amazed today that we live in a culture where people can find out more reasons. They can justify more reasons why they can't have children or should not be uh, parents of children uh, uh, than, than any generation that we may have witnessed on the scene in America today. So anybody that has a child, a newborn child, in your family. Anyone that knows <coughs> of a new child that's being born into the world, you, you need to rejoice to know that that child represents a future, a, a, a powerful future, because God is going to be with the new children being born. I want you to think, I want you to think hard about what the Bible says. In Psalm 127, except the Lord Jehovah build the house, the Bible says they labor in vain that build it. Except that he keeps the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Then he says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are the heritage of the Lord. Think of that. Children are the heritage of, of the Lord. What does that mean? The fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver Full of them. They will meet the enemy in the gate. That's what God says about children. Now, when the Israelites lived in slave, as slaves in chains, remember, it wasn't the best time in history to be having children. So you're going to have sons and daughters, I suppose, as well, who are going to be born into slavery. So, when you start planning your family, how many slaves do you want to give birth to? How many slaves do you want to add to Pharaoh's workforce? You can see the enormity of the problem the ancient Israelites faced. Can you not? You can see the pressure to not have children to bring them into a condition of abject slavery. But that did not discourage the Israelites. They continued to make bricks in the daytime and children at night. 
In their chains, they did not forget to have children. Now you have to ask yourself, what kind of love does it take to bring children into the world to be a slave laborer for a despot tyrant like Pharaoh? Well, that required indomitable faith. So what is faith, church? We know what the Bible teaches us, an entire chapter on faith. In Hebrews chapter number 11, the Bible tells us in beautiful language what faith is. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance. Faith is the substance, help me, of things hoped for. Hope is the substance that gives birth to faith. If you have hope for the future, hope for the future that we live in right now, None of us know where America's headed, but it doesn't look good. And if you measure the last two and a half, three years, if you look from March 2020 to where we are today, folks, and you're a young couple, you don't have a lot of, of rejoicing to think about with regard to your children. Because children have suffered enormously under the brunt of COVID-19 and all that's happened. They have been robbed of education. They have been injected with poison. Our children have not only had, I'm talking about all children, including those unborn, have continued to be aborted there was not an abortion clinic closed during the lockdown. We continued to murder our children. So children have been at the forefront of absorbing the pain and the hurt of this pandemic like no other class of people. We have had more young people between the age of 12 and 18 commit suicide in America in the last two and a half years than in the, in the previous decades. Our children have suffered immeasurably. And people today that live in this country and love their children are going to do whatever they must do to keep their children out of harm's way. They're going to keep them from the injection of poison. They're going to keep them from the poison of modern Marxist philosophical communistic teaching that's going on in the public uh, institutions of this country. They're going to protect and preserve their children. I do not know how the ancient Israelites were protecting their children in ancient Egypt. I'm assuming that the women were taking care of children at home while their husbands were being turned into slaves in the daytime. 
And we notice that there came a time when in spite of all that Pharaoh could do, in spite of everything that he tried to do to inhibit or to limit their proclivity to have children and to multiply and increase, including, including the fact that he made them find their own straw to make bricks. So he did everything in his power to make life hard for them. But the children continued to be born. And that becomes a blueprint for all Israel in every condition or time of history, no matter how bleak, no matter how clouded the day is, children are the heritage of the Lord and they are the future. They represent the first command of God when he sent the Adam kind people into the world. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill up the earth, subdue it and exercise and take dominion. This was commandment number one. It's the foundation for marriage. It's the foundation for the family. If you, did, if you take away children, in my humble opinion, you have just eliminated the basic reason for marriage. Marriage is the environmental place where children are conceived, nurtured, and trained, and raised up as God's people in time and history. And in our country today, we're doing everything within our power to make it hard for parents to raise children. A lot of that is by design, but not all of it. It's just a part of the culture we live in. Now, I want you to notice that there comes a time when we're going to introduce in ancient Egypt mandated abortion. We might forget that ancient Israel faced a terrible thing called abortion. The midwives were ordered, they were ordered to kill every male child that was born. Now the Egyptians didn't mind the girls living because they loved the beautiful Israelite girls and were not at all above absorbing them into the Egyptian population. But they didn't want the boys. They didn't want the males. Now this invites us to stretch our imagination, to let the Word of God be helpful in understanding the time we live in, church, because we let live now in an age when there is a war against men. Now somebody might say, well, that sounds like a pure chauvinist to be saying such a thing. I am simply here to tell you today that there is a war against men going on in America. There was a war against men going on in ancient Israel when they wanted to kill all the male children, destroy all the men ch children in ancient Israel. 
We do not want them to be born. So the midwives were assigned the task of murdering children. Now, put yourself in the role of, an, of a midwife. A midwife, the role of a midwife is a very honorable office. It's one of the oldest offices of dealing with family life in the Bible. The idea of, of aiding and helping a mother deliver her child. That's a very noble calling. It's a wonderful calling. And so when Pharaoh goes to the Egyptians and he decides that they're diminishing in number, which is no big deal to him because he sees all of the Israelites that are in chains as slaves, but he's decided now that he's got to to reduce the birth rate of the Egyptians. So let's just enter into a time of extreme birth control. We don't care how many male children are conceived, but we care how many are born. And so in the absence of chemicals and all the things they use today to kill children, before they are born, and even as they are being born, they decide to kill every male child that is born into the hand of the midwife. Now, as we read here, notice in verse 18 that the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing? and have saved the men children alive. Now, the answer that is going to come, church, may seem to this congregation not to be that significant. We may not realize the depth and the importance of the answer that comes back as to why the Egyptian, as to why the midwives did not obey the command of Pharaoh and kill the babies? Why would they resist the order of a tyrant and risk their very lives in disobeying a command of Pharaoh, the tyrant of Egypt? So let's see what the Bible tells us. In verse 19, And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Now I'm not in a position or an authority on, on birthing, so I'm not going to weigh in on that. But I have my doubts that the, Egypt, that the Hebrew women of that time, historical season, were any different than women any time among Anglo-Saxon Hebrew-speaking people. I'm sure that the pain in childbirth was still there. But there's going to be another part of this answer. It says here, 
Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. The Hebrew women that were having children knew that their newborns were going to be safe because the Hebrew midwives, even though some Bible scholars argue that these are Egyptian midwives, I don't really believe that that will uphold uh, withstand the, the real test of Scripture. The Hebrew midwives feared God more than the tyrant called Pharaoh. Now, we would say as a body here, because we're, we're very accustomed to knowing that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The Bible tells us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the most wholesome thing that you will have in your mental storehouse of knowledge. The mere fear of God. Just as a child, a small child, fears the, the hand or the paddle of his father. And let me tell you that children that grow up in a well-disciplined, orchestrated home, it's not because they fear that they're going to be hurt. It's just the fear of knowing, I'm talking about a small child, particularly a little boy, they're going to grow up to know that the fear of that paddle, the fear of the discipline that can come from my father, is a fearful thing. Now you might say, well, is that healthy for the child? And the answer is, yes, it's healthy. Because children need to fear and honor their parents as they grow up. And you're not going to be able to build that condition in that child by raising them as a wallflower. You cannot allow your children to dictate to you. If you let your children set the boundaries of your house, they'll be happy to do that, but you won't be happy with the results. So parents have to set the boundaries. Now, in ancient Egypt here, where we're at this morning, these Hebrew midwives feared God. Because the midwives feared God, they were blessed. Now, how were they blessed? I'm not sure how that all happened, but they were, a, they were a, a, a given houses. He made them houses. I'm not aware of just exactly how the heart, the stony heart of, a, of an Egyptian tyrant could be in a condition of blessing the very midwives that defied his tyrannical order. I don't understand that. But I do understand this truth.
church, and that is that God cares for his own. God does care for his own. And the Bible is filled with the promises of God's love to his people and his willingness to meet them if they have humble hearts and will seek his face. The greatest single need that we have in America today is for people to have a right heart attitude with God. If ever there was a day and time to make things right with God, let me tell you, today is the day to make things right with God. To live in harmony with God vertically so that you can be at peace with everyone around you horizontally. We have to be right vertically and we have to be right horizontally. That's just another way of saying, fear God and keep his commandments and love one another. So the, the midwives feared God. Do you know that when our patriot founders fought the war of independence, King George was a despot, a tyrant over in, e in England. Our, our founding fathers, they had a fear for the king. They knew that the king had the most powerful army in the world at that time. Most powerful navy. They knew that the power of King George was far greater than any power that they had. But they also knew, they also knew that the fear of God would be the only way that they could call upon God with kind of sincerity that was going to be required to gain their freedom. And they didn't know what the price would be, that, but they knew that it would not be easy because when they affixed their signatures to the Declaration of Independence, they pledged their lives, their fortunes, their honor, everything they owned, they pledged in the battle for freedom. And that battle for freedom is underway today because as a congregation, we have to know that there's going to be times in the future when we're going to make, have to be making a choice between living in the fear of God or living in the fear of a tyrant somewhere in Washington or in our state capital of Jefferson City or even in our little county capital of Nevada, Missouri. So I want to say this, church, if Exodus 1 teaches us anything, it teaches us that we have to have is irresulting, we have to have irresolute truth, we have to have truth that is without a love of truth that, that is so deep and so profound that we would rather, we would rather die than offend God. That we would rather not have life than to 
for, for, than to forsake the God who has given us life. I want you to think about this. When they locked this county down in March 2020, as in all of America, they found that all the non-essential businesses, all non-essential activities would be locked down. Isn't it amazing that churches were declared non-essential? That is not the mark of a Christian nation. When the Spanish-American flu invaded this country, the only churches that were locked down were those that decided to temporarily close their doors as they did in a couple of the big eastern cities. The country at large worshiped God through the years of the Spanish-American flu, and that flu took, I believe, 750,000 lives. It was a terrible flu. Now, beloved, when the Hebrews feared God, God was on their side. And, and in so many ways, we're reliving the story of ancient Israel. We are living under a tyrant today. And we have witnessed dictatorial laws that have come out of Washington that impact all of our lives. Sometimes I would prefer not to even know what some of those laws are because we're powerless in many ways to know what to do. But there's one thing we must do, and that is to read our Bibles and trust in God. Our faith and trust in God. Now, hope is the evidence of things not seen. Hope generates faith, which is what we have to live by. Three times the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. When the great tyrant Pharaoh continued to mandate the death of children, and Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. The very next chapter of the book of Exodus opens up with the birth of Moses. And you'll know from reading the story of Exodus 2 that the mandate to kill the male children had been ever increased. And so now the parents of little Moses hide this child for the first three months of his life. When, he, when he's old enough that his crying and his, his presence is not 
is not, they're not able to hide it any longer. By faith, they put little Moses in a basket. On the river Nile, last resort to save this child alive. And they send his older sister Miriam to hide along the reeds of the river to see what's going to happen to this little boy. Will Moses, drowned in that little basket of, in the river Nile, will he be delivered to the tyrant's court to be killed? Or will a sovereign God preserve his life for a purpose that has become called the greatest deliverer of ancient history? The little Hebrew boy that's in that basket is going to grow up in the palace of ancient Egypt. He will be trained to be a pharaoh. He will be trained to be a tyrant. He will be given full military style training. He will ride in the famous chariots of Egypt. He will learn how to, to wield an Egyptian sword. That same young man is going to go out one day and see his brethren and see the tyranny that's being exercised against them. And he's going to actually rise up and kill an Egyptian, one of the Pharaoh's own. Now the story of Moses is the story that continues in Exodus to remind us that God will not fail to, to provide leadership for his people. Now, I know that this requires a lot of faith on the part of people that are sitting in the pews. I know it's not easy, church, for anyone sitting here to have the confidence to believe that God can take flawed men and God can use them to guide his people in days and times of trouble. But that is the promise of God that he will not leave us leaderless. There will be godly men who will fill in the gap and they will, they will be able to, to do what is necessary to do. And, and those kind of men have discernment. They, they have to have discernment to know when to draw the lines and to say no to a tyrant that wants them to violate God's law. So we know that the, the Bible is replete with God-fearing people who said no when they were called to bow down to the image of an ancient king na named Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were very bold to say, we're not sure what's going to happen to us, but we will not bow down and worship another God.
They worship the one true and living God, the God that we worship today. Very same God. But those three Hebrew children were very courageous to say that if it means that we will lose our lives, so be it. But we will not bow down to Baal in a manner of speaking. We will not surrender to a tyrant that which belongs to God. So we as Christians know that our children belong to God. They are the heritage of God. We are obligated to do everything for our children that can be done. And this is why I want to underscore people. I want to underscore for this congregation the importance of our children being able to be instructed and cared for, preserved and protected in our own little school. That is a blessing that rises far above most of our ability to, uh, ability to understand the enormity of it. So I thank and praise God for this little school. I praise God that children that go here are not being exposed to the horrible, the horrific, things that are going on in American education today. Because our little boys have every right to grow up as men. And our little daughters have every right to grow up to be mothers. And public education today has changed that trajectory altogether. They are eradicating the idea of gender from the minds of our children, which is shameful beyond all words. So the blueprint for Exodus is that in a time of trouble, fear not, God says, I am with you. When we live in a country where taxation grows ever increasing, remember, that the ancient Hebrews lived under excessive slavery. But it did not diminish their love of children and doing what God tells them to do. So in conclusion today, beloved, what I believe that this congregation must hold on to is this. The Bible is God's law book to guide us on our way. And the Bible emanates from God's throne. It is God's revelation to His children. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. We have an obligation to transmit to our children all the truth that we know from this Bible. Every generation must 
come to faith. Children are not born knowing the truth. They have to be taught the truth. That must be defined for them. So the blueprint for us is to remember that if we will live in the reality of God and Scripture, God will bless us. We must not move to an artificial worldview of delusion, hysteria, panic, and fear. We must hold fast, be courageous, read our Bibles, worship our God, pray, love each other, take care of each other, and know that we live in a very wicked time and we don't have time, we really do not have time to quarrel. We don't have time to waste. We only have time to love each other and do what God commands us to do. And remember that the Exodus blueprint is a path going forward. And it's marked with trials and tribulations, but at the end of the road, it's marked with victory. The Hebrews survived. And they went on to become the people of God. A final thought, people, is this. Have you ever considered that the ancient Israelites, your people, Check your DNA and see if you've got this in your DNA. When the Israelites stood before the waters of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army is behind them. The Red Sea is before them. And you remember that Moses had said, Stand still and see the salvation of God. God bless Moses. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. He knew something marvelous had to happen or they'd all perish. But God said to Moses, What do you mean, tell the people to stand still? Tell the people to move forward. Get their feet wet. I'm here to tell you this morning, folks, that the waters of the Red Sea did not start to part until some feet got wet. Now, God will test us. We will be a tested people. But if we're faithful to God, if we're reading our Bibles, if we're praying, if we're doing our due diligence to, to make things right with God, He will give us discernment. And we will know when to draw our lines so may God be praised, let's be bold, let's be courageous, let's love our little children. Folks, look, the greatest possession you have today are your children. Your children are the prized possession. And remember what God has said, better than a millstone were hung about your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. So we've got to take care of our children. And we may have to sacrifice a little bit of our pride. We may have to 
We may have to do things that we didn't want to do. We may have to make sacrifices that we didn't want to make. But your sons and daughters are worth it. Every one of them are worth it. May God bless us all as we put our shoulders to the, to the wheel of truth and keep marching toward victory. Let's stand.